Good morning and welcome back and happy Saturday everybody. It is Amanda and Baron with Kicking Cancer Cares and we want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors Breezy HVAC and Oddmos Pizza. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. So huge thank you to them. Again that's Breezy HVAC and Oddmos Pizza. How's it going Baron? Another Saturday morning. Here we are again. Yes we are and we have a guest this time don't we? We do. We do. Actually not in the room but on the phone. Yep. So I thought it would be interesting if we recapped last week. It was kind of you know what happened to me and some of those life changing events during that first year. But the real life changing events was the co founder, and so Brenda's on the phone with us. Hey, Brenda, how it's going? Hey, it's so good to be here listening to everybody. I know we're not in person, but it's fun to be together anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's kind of recap uh, last week. Well, there was a couple of, um, I call them pivotal moments for me during 2018, and I decided to wear my Spartan shirt from 2018 today. Okay. Uh, it was when I was driving to the airport to get Brenda for that first Spartan race, and I, I was telling your listeners last week, my wife's very best friend for Clareback in college had gone into the hospital. She was having some chest pains mm-hmm. on a Monday. We were going to go see her on Tuesday, but our grandson has showed up. And she says, oh, just just come Wednesday. Well, Wednesday, she wasn't feeling well, so we didn't go Wednesday either. Thursday, I'm driving to the airport to get Brenda, and she died. Mm, That's right, yep. And what they found out after she had passed away is that she had pancreatic cancer and didn't even know it. And one of the effects was it caused a, a blood clot, which got to her heart and killed her instantly. But I remember when I got the phone call being so upset about that news. You know, my wife's best friend had just died with us, not even having to say goodbye. And I, I called my mom. She knew I was going to get Brenda. And I said, if they thought that I was enthusiastic about helping Brenda, I am just really pissed off right now. <laughs> yeah. And it was a real changing moment for me. It, it, I mean, I just, I just took a whole new fire in what we were doing. And then by October of that year, I was busy doing things and I was promoting our, our organization as Help Team Brenda, but we weren't a nonprofit. And my friends wisely told me that if I wanted to do what Brenda and I started to do, we had to become a nonprofit. And so by October, November, we were a nonprofit. That's awesome. Big life changing moments. Huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's kind of a quick recap of last week's story. It was, it was. That's okay. All right, so what shocking news do we have this week? Well, you know, you made a comment last week, and, and I, I want Brenda to chime in on a few of these comments, because we were talking last week about the progressing numbers going up with right. cancer rates, and there was a Senate committee formed in 1976, and they had recommendations on our food system change way back in 76. And I said that the beef industry, the poultry industry, these guys were, were con- not condemning, but they didn't want that report released. And you were like, well, why does the beef industry right. care about the food, right? Yeah. So I you think br- they'd be the good, like, you know, the pure and clean ones. Right. So I'm going to bring you a new timeline. Okay. Okay. And the book that I'm actually referencing is called Think and Eat Yourself Smart. Okay. And the person that wrote the book is Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and Brenda has a copy of this book too. We've we've talked together about this book quite often. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, um, she has a PhD in neuroscience, so she understands how your brain functions, mm-hmm. and she's also a dietitian, so she understands how food affects your brain. Right. And and there's a couple of timeline incidences in here. So the first one is the Farm Bill of 1933. Okay. 
So we're coming out of the Depression, and this bill was formed as a response to the need for adequate food because of the Depression. Right. Okay? So on surface, that sounds like a great bill. Basically, the bill is going to help fund farming, subsidize farming. Right. The problem is that bill stayed the same. It was reintroduced every five years, but it was never changed. So we just kept repassing the exact same bill. And into the next decade, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, but the response to the need for food wasn't the same as it was during the Depression. Right. Right? So um, then you get to an incident that occurred in the 1970s. And uh, maybe, Brenda, you want to throw a few thoughts in here on that next incident? Yeah, absolutely. It just kind of keeps going, which is very interesting. So in the 1970s, things kind of changed a little bit. And uh, even though we still had that farm bill being introduced every five years, at that point we started moving into a different process and trying to get uh, everything grown wall to wall. Fence row to fence row was kind of the motto of the day. And let's just grow as much as we can on the land. And the land's going to be filled pretty much with soy and corn. And so at that point, the little guys, the little farmers, were kind of uh, moving out, and we were just getting those great big consolidated farms. You had these huge farms that just produced one crop, monocrops. You've got soy and you've got corn being grown there, and they're being subsidized by the government to grow as much as you possibly can. But you're not getting any diversity in the soil to continue propagating those plants. And what's interesting is well over half of the 300 million acres of farmland that we have in the U.S. is being uh, just taken, just being filled with the soy and the corn, where only about 14,000 acres have the specialty crops, if we want to call them that, which is basically everything else that you eat, all the other vegetables and fruit. Just get 14 million acres where the soy and corn gets well over half of 300,000 wow. acres all the way around. So and that's, that's a huge that's, difference. That's a big number. And, that's a huge number. I mean, Amanda and I have talked, Brenda, about these numbers I bring out and try to put those in perspective, but there are 300 million acres in the United States that can be used for farming, and half of that is used for one crop. That's <laughs> corn. That's crazy. So, and the reason we bring that up is because the next thing that began to occur, and this really began to occur probably in the 80s, is the, the term is called CAFOs. And it's an acronym for Contained Animal Feeding Operations. So, we began to industrialize animals. Right, okay. okay? So, if you think about, you know, the 1800s or 1900s, cows just kind of roamed free in a field and they ate grass and stuff in the field. But we wanted to produce more cows. Corn was now really inexpensive to get because the government's subsidizing corn. Right. So we bring these cows into these contained areas and we feed them corn and other not so nice things. Right. <laughs> they were literally fed a lot of garbage in this area. But and and Brandon will bring this up in a second. But they were fed other things to fatten them up faster, right? To because make them grow quicker to, to produce make, a lot more meat. I'm sure. Yeah. Make them fatter quicker. Make, make them fatter quicker, <laughs> yeah. so you can, you know, basically take them to the market. Mm -hmm. And so, if you think about any other product, how do you produce that product faster, quicker, cheaper, and get it to the consumer? But we were doing that with God's animals, right? And so that's what these contained animal feedings operations are. 
So at that point, you're not even really getting beef that's truly beef. Yeah. It's, it's certainly not the kind of beef that, we, uh, that our parents and grandparents were used to eating. And like you brought up there, Baron, that, uh, that cattle specifically are rumens. And so they need to be walking all day and just eating a variety of grasses and plants. And that's how they digest their food all day long, and they weren't meant to eat massive amounts of grain. That's just not what they they can digest very well, and so it leads to a lot of malnutrition and disease and illness to those animals. The other thing that they frequently are fed, sadly enough, they're into these contained animal feeding operations. They're trying to fatten them up as fast as they can, and so they really get to eat everything. They put expired cookies, candy, they even put other dead animals and mix that into their feed, which is totally inappropriate because this is an herbivore, and now they're feeding them other animals in order to be able to just use up these dead products and fatten these animals up in a much quicker basis. Is that shocking? Yeah. <laughs> so you're not here, Brenda, so you can't see my facial expressions, but that that's... She was, she was, she was grimacing, Brenda. <laughs> That's awful because the, uh, the, the silence was audible. Yeah. <laughs> what they, I mean, because those things that they eat, if that's the things that they're eating, that, I mean, then in turn, we're eating that. Yep. Yep. So the exactly. last. Exactly. You know, and that's, and that's the point. And, and, and not only that, they, they, these animals are in such confined areas. They're in very unnatural environments. They're just right on top of each other. They don't see the daylight or they're in, living amongst their own feces as they walk around all day. And it's just a very tight quarter that they get to live in. So frequently they're purposefully mutilated to be able to keep these animals from choosing to mutilate themselves because of the challenging environment they live in. Uh, they're fed uh, a lot of antibiotics. In fact, 80% of the antibiotic use in the United States goes toward animals Whoa. to keep yeah. them from getting unhealthy in the very unhealthy environments in which they live. So literally, like I say, uh, you know, four-fifths of the antibiotics are going toward these animals. Well, that's ingesting into their bodies, and so when we eat it, it's also we're also getting that into the meat, causing human beings to be more uh, more antibiotic resistant. So when we really need it, then we're not able to digest that very well and work that through our system. And like you said, trying to fatten them up, they also feed them hormones because they want them to be able to get as large as possible, as quick as possible, so they can get them over to the market. And so now they have a lot of hormones put into them to be able to fatten them up quickly. So again, Brady, you cannot see Amanda's face, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's shock and awe, shock and awe. I think the antibiotics, <laughs> that's... That's a lot that goes to the animals. Yeah. I had no idea that it was that. So, so the last quote I want to give you out of the book, and I'm going to read this directly because it's, it's so intriguing. It says, in the United Kingdom, so England, Scotland, okay, in the United Kingdom, cows that were fed the remains of other cows in meat and bone meal contracted this disease, um, and they mentioned earlier the name of the disease, Killing over a hundred people in England in 1996. I believe it. And the problem is, again, we're talking about that thing I brought up last time. We, as the American consumers, don't even realize what's in the meat that we're consuming. No. I had no idea. Or the yeah. milk that we're drinking. And as as Brent and I were reading this together some time back, I thought about my youngest, who um, loved to drink milk. Loved to drink milk. I didn't know any of this stuff back then. Right. And he was a big kid. 
But I think about a lot of kids in high school, they're bigger now than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, again, correlation causation, right? Right. <laughs> I think there's a correlation between the, the, the antibiotics, the steroids, the hormones are putting inside the cows and then the cows that were eating the beef oh, yeah. and we're drinking the milk. And also we have bigger people than we used to have. Yeah. How could those things not affect us? Exactly. How could they not? So there's your shocking. That's right. And I, yeah, a little shock and awe for you today. And I, I think in the very end of it is to realize what is actually the real price tag. Like who's really paying the bill for this? And even though we have cheap food to feed them because now we have the monocultures of the corn and the soy, it has to go someplace. So we're going to feed it to the animals. It's unnatural for them. Put them into the feeding organizations and, and force feed them these products, which they aren't really meant to eat. And then in the end, they need the antibiotics so that they can keep from being ill. And we went to get them as bad as possible as quickly. So we give them the hormones and then we end up eating and ingesting all that. So in the end, who ends up paying the big price for it? And I know sometimes people can say, oh, why is healthy food so expensive? But I always like to say, why is that hamburger, why is that poor food for you so cheap? That's a- you need to think about how come that hamburger only cost one dollar. Well, and I like how you say it, Brenda. It isn't the question isn't is why is healthy food? It's how do you actually make a dollar hamburger? Yeah. How do you yeah. you know you've got the overhead cost? You've got employees to pay. How do you actually make a hamburger that only costs a dollar? And what's in that hamburger that you're making a dollar? And and there's thing it goes farther into the book, but it's not just cows. They do this with chickens. They do this with pigs. And if you ever get on YouTube and look anything things up, it's, it's almost inhumane what we're doing to these animals just so we can fat them up quick, take them to harvest or take them to market, you know, so we can all eat them. Yeah. So anyway, you, you, had, you had mentioned why that industry yeah. was upset. They're upset because it affects their industry too. Big time. That's crazy. And I continue to shock you, don't I? You do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Brenda's the one that shocked me today. (laughs) There you go. I'll add a little shock to it. Well, and we we talk about if these organizations had windows where everybody could see in, people would probably stop eating that if they realized what the animals were treated like and what they're being fed every day. The shock and awe, I'm sure, would hit people a, a, a lot quicker. And I think that's kind of the point is to realize you know, that food shouldn't cost $1. Technically, it should need to cost more than that. So think about why you're spending $1 on that. Yeah, absolutely. So then would you go to, like, uh, a local farm? Like, how would you go about getting the right meat? How do you know if it is actually what it... Okay, well, I'm have some research to do. <laughs> you, one, yeah. one, once again, you asked a question for a different show. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be great for the next show. We'll talk about that one. Yeah. That will. Questions. Yeah. Okay. Well, you always like me to bring you a story. I do. But I did bring you a story. You bought me Brenda. She's on the phone. <laughs> so I thought you could ask her a few questions on her perspective here. Yeah, so I guess my big one is is that I've, I've heard Baron tell your story quite a few times and, and the whole journey of kicking cancer, but it would be kind of interesting for me to hear it from your perspective and how this all started with you and how you got to where you are. 
Yeah, good. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. That's awesome. And I, I really love Amanda to share my story because I feel like everybody's story helped be through my process and it still is. I still have metastatic he- breast cancer and so I work hard to keep it at bay every day. And I feel like everybody's story helped me. Everybody has a story and how they were able to overcome the challenges they have. And so I always love to share my story because I hope something I say can help somebody else. Absolutely. And Baron, yeah, right? It makes a huge difference in our lives. And speaking of a huge difference, in our lives, Baron has really made an enormous difference in my life. And in the end of 2015, I know you've heard the story before a little bit, but I'll fill in a couple of gaps. Yes. In the end of 2015, then I was um, very serendipitously learned that I had metastatic breast cancer really quickly. My husband and I were both studying uh, cancer independent of each other and didn't know that I had cancer right then. And we went over to uh, a, a doctor in uh, uh uh, Palm Springs, California, who my husband was going to help with some investing. He's a breast cancer surgeon. My husband was going to help him raise money for his equipment. And so I tested the equipment. I, you know, I, I was the person that sat there and they showed how to make the equipment work. So we were just there as kind of a, a routine to show how it would function. And when he came back, his eyes were just real wide and he said, wow, you have breast cancer. And we were thinking, oh, no, 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 no. We're not here to find out that I had breast cancer. Your we're machine, in fact, is broken. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the news you wanted to hear. Right, right, right. But you can see what an enormous, huge serendipity situation and amazing blessing this was, obviously, Absolutely. to this at the time. Yeah, even though we were very shocked by it. And, and who is? It doesn't matter if you, you can't be prepared enough for that anyway. No. And even though we weren't prepared for it, just just get it over with. If you're going to learn, then go ahead and learn. Yeah. And at the beginning of, I continued my research, which gratefully my husband and I had done enough research. We walked into this with some knowledge. We had our eyes a little bit more open than a lot of people do. And so we continued with some more research. At the beginning of 2016, I did have a mastectomy, and they ended up taking some lymph nodes because it had already spread into the lymph system. And it's traveling around my body with the lymph system, which is the area that cleans out your body. So I have a, a few less lymph nodes than other people. And so I do a lot of things to help keep that at bay. Um, and so what I like to uh, share is after that, I had my type of cancer actually sent into a lab to be tested to see what kind of chemotherapy would be needed. And my cancer is very slow growing. It's aggressive, but it's slow growing. Chemotherapy works best with fast-growing cells. That's why the inner lining of your mouth tends to get sore. Uh, the hair tends to fall out. Um, the fingers and the toes are sensitive because those are all really fast-growing cells. If you have a fast-growing cancer, chemotherapy tends to be able to target that a lot better. I have a very slow-growing cancer, and so my test came back showing that uh, if I did... Um, chemotherapy, my chance of return of cancer or death within five years, Amanda was literally twice as high if I did chemotherapy as if I did not. Whoa. Okay, once again, Brent, you can't years. see her face, but you just shocked hey. you just shocked Amanda. That's crazy. <laughs> the hair is standing up on her arms right now. <laughs> yeah, I thought it might go that way. And what I like to again share with people in my story is that they do, that was six years ago. Gratefully, I'm past that five-year mark right now, and so every day on top of that is just a bonus, and it's exciting. And I do like to share with people, there are quite a few of these labs nowadays. They're learning a lot more as every year goes on, obviously, and you can get your cancer tested to find out if it's something that you can, that that seems reasonable and what kind of chemotherapy you should get. Well, at that point, I realized I'm going to have to take my health into my own 
have chemotherapy, radiation are not an option for me. And so every day I work hard. I, I changed my diet. I, um, I exercise every day to keep that lymph system moving. I honor sleep because your body cleans itself out at sleep. I do certain supplementations, etc. cetera. Um, exercise literally turns on cancer-fighting genes and literally turns off cancer-producing genes. So if you can get any movement during the day, whether it be some yoga or running or a, a little bit of a brisk walk or bicycling, whatever you can do, movement makes a huge difference there. And so I took my health into my own hands and realized that's what I'm going to have to do to be able to survive this. Um, I, I met a gal who had had a, a big surgery with cancer, and I just had my surgery too. And she said to me, oh, I just learned that if you change your diet, you could probably heal from cancer or, or avoid having cancer kind of an attitude. And she said, that is just so extreme. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> yeah, right, right, you're getting it. I was thinking, so having your organ removed, that's okay, but changing your diet, that's extreme. <laughs> Teach their own. I guess <laughs> and so. And so now I go around and I try to emphasize uh, anti-cancer living styles, which has to do with food, but a lot of other things like I mentioned also. Absolutely. So my, I guess um, my first question is, what was the thing you changed first? What was your first step um, or your biggest yeah. change? Okay, good. No, I appreciate it. I would probably say definitely the first thing that I changed was diet. I do feel like it's probably the most prevalent. Usually cancers are caused either from your environment, your lifestyle, or stress. Normally that's what cancer is caused from. Actually, on a shocker, only 5% of cancers are actually hereditary. Only 5%. Wow, I thought it was much higher than that. There you go, right? And Whoa. so you shocked her twice today, Brenda. <laughs> more shocking, more, shocking, more stuff. shocking, my friend. And so, ninety-five percent of that you have some control over. Now, you don't have control over everything in your whole environment. You may not be able to control very much the smog that you're walking around in outside, or the office in which you work, or the formaldehyde that's in your carpet all the time. But one thing you do have good control of is what you do for yourself, your own lifestyle. And so, I feel like. Food is something that you can definitely change in your own life and take control of. So I definitely changed my diet. I thought I was eating a pretty healthy diet beforehand, but I did a lot of research and found what was going to be the best forms of, of diet changes. And so I would say that's what I did first. Supplementation, I learned a lot about my specific type of cancer. Of course, everybody's a little bit different. They need to find out what's going to work for them. You don't really want to waste money on supplements, but I learned the things that I took. The worst thing I was going to do, again, was maybe waste a little money. It wasn't going to hurt me any. Right. So maybe take a little bit more of that. Um, and, and, and I learned over time, again, researching with sleep. I just learned to really honor sleep and realizing that is when your body literally cleans itself out every night. We have the lymphatic system that runs through our our body and removes the toxins. Well, we have the glymphatic system in our mind, in our brain, with a, with a G at the beginning. And that's literally going inside of there and cleaning out the toxins in your brain every day. And you need that time to be able to have your body do that. And I know years ago, Bear and I used to joke with each other, oh, we'll, we'll sleep when we're dead. But, you know, that death is going to come a lot like, No, we need to sleep so you don't die. So, Brenda, yeah. you, you've got about a minute and a half. Um, I think Amanda would love to hear kind of your perspective of what happened that first year in like a minute Good. or so. 
Oh, yeah, fantastic. No pressure. Darren called me right away, and <laughs> we did that warrior dash, and it was just stellar. I felt like we got a lot of people together to be able to realize getting some movement into your body and joining a group where you can stand up for something for yourself to get some help made a huge difference, and it was exciting to see these people rallying around. We had like 40 people joining us over at that first warrior dash and then the Spartan, and I think it made a huge difference to realize we can keep local money in the local areas and help support people that really need it. The little guy needs that. They do. And then just the awareness, to bring the awareness to those people that, that can do things to prevent getting cancer yep. or to help not go down the route of chemotherapy and all of that. So in our last Absolutely. little bit here, it's always good to remind people, Amanda, that if you go to kicking-cancer.org, that's our website. If you hit the stories tab, um, there's a lot of stories on there now. And the first one we stole was Brenda's. And I said, I don't want hers to get getting farther and farther back. So Brenda's story is actually always on that first page. Okay. So you can click That's on good. that and read Brenda's story on our website. And then new stories keep popping up. Uh, and all the events that we have coming up, we just did the golf tournament. We have an awareness walk coming in August. So all those events are on our website, too. Okay, awesome. So definitely check it out. And with that, it wraps it up. And we want to give a huge shout-out to our sponsors again, Breezy HVAC and Oddmo's Pizza. And we'll be back next Saturday as, as the, the movement, movement continues. continues.